Next up on Make Every Media, Megan Moten interviews Command Sergeant Major Retired Edwin Donald Moten. Otherwise known as my dad. In part one of a two-part conversation about life before, during, and after the military. For a new series we're calling Two Old Cats. I'm Megan Moten, and I am here today talking to Command Sergeant Major Retired Edwin Donald Moten. How are you doing today? I'm good. It's so funny because I never went by that name. I always thought Edwin was a nerd name. And so I hated that. So they called me Donald or Don Moten. Once I retired, I went back to Donnie, which was my name prior to going into the military. I grew up in Santa Barbara, California. I was very fortunate to grow up in that place at that time. And the beauty of Santa Barbara was that it was a multi-ethnic, uh, multi-racial uh, town and it had a big heart. A lot of the adults looked after me. It was an interesting time in the 60s, the Vietnam War. Two of my brothers went. Um, there was protest there, but there was a lot of support for soldiers too. So that, that was a beautiful time and um, feel very blessed for that foundation that I uh, got there and it propelled me on to other adventures in my life. Yeah. And so looking back at those early years, uh, what were those early years like for you as a, as a kid growing up in that environment? I was fortunate that in every single case, when I needed somebody at a particular time, somebody stepped up for me. Third grade on, there was somebody there who made a difference in my life. I went to Lincoln Elementary School, which was uh, two blocks from our house in the terrace, and there was a park in the middle that park it was very instrumental in my athletic career because that's the first time I learned how to hit a baseball, how to shoot a basketball, how to catch a football. I learned that I was good at some things and other things is better to be a spectator. <laughs> and Lincoln really was the foundation. And it was a you know lower class area because my dad and mom didn't make a lot of money. But uh, what we lacked in material things, my mom provided the, the love and my dad the guidance. Everybody, all the parents looked after each other. I was very blessed to have three moms. I had a biological mom and, you know, Mrs. Lucero and Mrs. Canley, who also looked after me. And one of my very dearest friends I've known almost, uh, well, more than 50 years, uh, Pai Andrade, his dad worked for a bakery. And uh, Every Friday at 7.30, he would, on his way to work, he brought the pastries from the previous day and he would drop them off to us. It's just to have some dessert at the end of the week. Or Mr. Vior, who ran a bakery right up the street from us, probably every other day he would drop off fresh bread. And of course, my mentor and very dear friend, Tino of Italian Grocer, um, he and I created a bond when I was 12 years old. I was the only kid who didn't have lunch on our league, our baseball league that I played on. So what I would do is I would always just bring an apple and uh, I keep it in my bag. So anytime I, I, I got hungry, I would just take a few bites out of that throughout. And first time I ever had a Tino sandwich, he in fact uh, gave me one. And I was so thankful that I went and I swept up and cleaned his uh, um little store. It was on Olive Street back then. And so we just started a, a friendship that lasted and, until he died. One of the great moments of my life uh, was to see him before he passed on. And 
tell him how grateful I was for the mentor and the friendship and the love he showed to me. And the beauty of it is his nephew is a good friend of mine as well. Uh, he working in the store and he relayed to me a couple years ago how Tino thought so much of my military service because he was a veteran as well. And so it was, it was kind of cool, like the, the circle, full circle. So those times, they set the foundation for the man I became. So I, I can't think of really negative moments. There were learning moments, you know. First time I've ever heard someone call me poor, I laughed because I was like, dude, all that I have, there's no way you could call me poor. But really they're talking about where you live, what kind of car your parents drive, the type of house you have. But uh, I never really saw those as uh, um, indicators of the type of person I was. A lot of names uh, came up just now. You had a, a very wide net of support. Can you tell me a bit more about um, a person who was significant during that time? Let's start with my kindergarten teacher, Mrs. Solon. She allowed me to come after school into the library. Because back then, you only went to kindergarten half day. So I was in the morning session. And so in the afternoon, instead of going home, like I'm supposed to, she let me come and sit in her office and read a book. And I'd learn about places and things. I didn't know that there was an Africa. I didn't know that there was a real elephant and zebras and tigers. And so she opened the world to me. And I think as a five-year-old, that was probably the first thing that I could think of. And if you know, I'm sad to say that I never got a chance to thank her. You know, I would go back to, to Lincoln School and I went by a couple of times as a ninth grader and then as a senior in high school and she had uh, retired. And so I just left a note at the front desk to please give it to her if she ever calls in. So she started me into this adventure of reading and trying to learn, be a lifelong learner. I didn't know that then, but now as I look back. In elementary school, Gary Christensen was my very first athletic coach. In fifth grade, he took an interest in me. He's the one who taught me how to shoot a basketball. He's the one who taught me uh, how football was played. He taught me the fundamentals of baseball. And I really was so fortunate that he took an interest in me that way. Side by side with him was a, a, a woman named Lois Vanshack. She was the school counselor, but her husband was the principal of Franklin Elementary School, and it was our main rivals. His name was uh, Bill Vanshek, and then Frank, his brother, was the principal of Wilson. So these three individuals had a 10-acre house, and so they, they set up a variety of activities, taught us how to light a fire safely. They taught us how to cross a creek on a rope bridge. They taught us stories at night and we spend the night there uh, about natives who lived in the area. And they gave us a better appreciation for this great Southern California area. And so Lois and Gary, that was a tight relationship. And so that's the elementary years. And um, I, I would just say on top of that, the coolest thing that happened to me in my transition from elementary school to junior high, my first day I got to Santa Barbara Junior High, I met a, a gentleman by the name of Gary Hardy. He changed my life. He changed my life. Gary was a minor league uh, baseball player for the Dodgers. He played a little bit for, I believe, the Washington Senators. Big man, about 6'2", 200, excellent athlete. But he took a liking to me from day one. So 
he would do things like after school, he told me to meet him out in the field, and he would take the time to throw 50, 60, 80 balls to me to hit extra practice. He would hit balls to me on ground balls, so he was determined to make me better. And as I got a little bit more mature and I got a little stronger, I was able to throw the ball harder. I could recognize the pitches because we would be sitting at lunch and he would be gripping the ball in his hand and he'd be telling me, so this is what a curveball looks like. So when the pitcher at the top of his apex, you're going to be able to catch a glimpse of that and you know the pitch he's going to throw to you. You're going to get so good after time, you can call it. You know, if he threw two balls to you, you know, and they're outside the strike zone, he's going to throw his go-to pitch to get his first strike. So you know it's going to come across the plate, and you're going to be ready to hit it. And so those are basic fundamentals that stayed with me throughout my whole life. But it was just by chance, because that was his first day as the coach. And it happened to be my first day as a seventh grader. And so it was a, it was a match made in heaven, I really believe that. And it, was, it set the conditions for my athletic career for the rest of my life. One person I really have to talk about, Mr. Jameson, my reading teacher in eighth grade, he was the first openly gay man that I ever met in the school, but he was also a dear, dear friend of mine. He took an interest in the academic side of mine. He didn't care about sports. He wanted me to be a better athlete. He wanted me to be a better person. I learned about Rosa Parks through him and of course, Mr. King, Dr. King, excuse me. But Dr. King's dad was a very phenomenal man as well. And so I learned about James Baldwin, he was a partner with a guy named Gabe Garcia, who also was a local minister. So he told me about the Hispanic history in Southern California. So as a young guy, I was immersed with people who took a big interest in me. Betsy Ross, another very, very good reading teacher in my seventh grade year, she forced me, and I do mean forced me, to read as many books as I could. So she would give me extra credit if I can do book reports on these books. And because, you know, let's face it, I didn't have any control of the TV at my house or the telephone. So I sit in the back of uh, the house in the yard and I would just read all the time and I'd be able to scribble out a few reports. And Miss Ross, I love her dearly. Um, she used to open her house to us too, as did Mr. Jameson and Mr. Garcia. It was, uh, again, phenomenal time sequence for me. You know, we're talking 66, 67, 68, 69. Those were the, the building blocks of the personality, the um, growth of a young man that, that I was fortunate to be receiving in. This relationship I talked briefly about with Mr. Tino. Um, <laughs> this is kind of comical, but only because, uh, I'm looking back at very fondly. It, it wasn't comical at the time. So he made a point that uh, I rode a bike to um, my 10 speed to high school every day, rain or shine. I, I rode a bike. Sometimes I'd walk if it was raining. It didn't rain that much in Santa Barbara, but I'd always ride by his store. And on game days, he used to always say, I expect you to do well. That's all he would say. And I said, well, yeah, I'm going to try my best. No, don't worry about trying your best. I expect you to do well. You have to expect that of yourself. Mm-hmm. And I never really, anyone ever, I, I'm sure other people had said that, but since he's so influential to me, it really made me think about my effort each day. You know, if you do the same things every day, but you do them to the best of your ability, you're going to get the results that you want. Don't, 
don't ever apply your standards to somebody else and don't apply their standards to you. And he's the one who really planted that seed with me. So I did athletically, I did okay. But I think as a person, I became a better person because of that. And it goes back to that circle of trust too, you know. It's funny that, um, you know, uh, I can name the every family that lived in a block of my guitarist house and I keep contact with five of those guys and we've been friends for almost 55 years. And so I'm so honored by that. And it, it is that we believed in each other and we trust each other. And I think that's really the, the, the one thing about my early years that um, stayed with me. So blessed, certainly, to have yes. mentors, yes. teachers, co-parents. You're now a senior in high school, heading towards graduation. What was that time like for you? My junior year was um, important to bring up before my senior. My junior year was my very best athletic year and my very best academic year. I was preparing for life after high school in my junior year. My junior varsity basketball coach was a deeply religious man. He went to Westmont, played basketball there, and he started taking me to Westmont practices. The beauty of that was I established some really good relationships and I learned that going to college is going to take work. It's going to take physical work, athletically, but I had to learn better study habits. And so that's why I wanted to bring up my junior year. I became a really good student in my junior year. I didn't miss any classes. I really asked for help from every teacher that I had and I listened to their advice about college. That summer, of my junior, of my rising senior year, Doyle Canley, who's a dear friend for many years, since seventh grade, we've been friends. Um, we went on a trip to the Canadian Rockies to spend uh, uh, a week backpacking. And uh, I really learned something really valuable about myself is that new situations are to be embraced. Don't be afraid of things just because you haven't done it before. I decided to play basketball but not baseball my senior year. And so many of the places I was thinking to try to play baseball at, because I didn't play my senior year, they no longer were interested. And Westmont was one of them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so even though I had this relationship, but between me and you and the world now, I really didn't want to go to college near my house. But my mom was so, so important at this time because she's the one who said to me, uh, I, I hear it in my head like I did then, baby, if going to Oregon is the right thing for you, then why not do it? After the end of the basketball season, which was about March, Northwest Christian was the only one with the financial aid that reached out to me and said, hey, not only will it give you a chance to make our team, but uh, we'll figure out how to pay for it. So I went to visit. I made a mistake of going to Eugene in September. It is the most beautiful place you've ever been. Beautiful sunshine. Everything's so green. And, I, and they tell you, oh, it's like this all the time. They absolutely lied. Oh, my God. They absolutely lied. I had a, one year at Northwest Christian. I realized the three majors they had, a minister or pastor, or you're going to be a missionary or a counselor. And at the time, I didn't think I, either of those professions fit me. So right across the street from Northwest Christian is University of Oregon. And so I applied there and I transferred and graduated in June of 79. And I went back to Santa Barbara, but, you know, I just, I didn't fit in. I was different. 
the times were different there. The job opportunities that I was looking for. I didn't really want to be a school teacher yet because I didn't have a teaching degree. And I definitely didn't want to coach because I didn't think I was mature enough. You know, 21-year-old, just because you graduate from college doesn't mean you're ready to coach high school kids or even junior high for that matter. So after about 10 months, I struggled. Um, I enlisted in the Army. And my military career started in May um, 19, um, 1981. Wow. So why did you join the Army? Yeah, that's a great question. Mm-hmm. So still a little background. I did do my homework. Back to Eugene. I was interested in ROTC my senior year, but you can't join. Uh, it's a two-year program. But I was always interested in the military. Mm-hmm. My dad being a World War II veteran. And then my brothers, both Elmer and Alfred, were Vietnam veterans. So I always hold military in high regard. I absolutely was not interested in um, the Navy. The Navy recruiter had the same perfume that my mom did. So I, I was, that was just weird. The Army recruiter allowed, he sat down and was the first one to say, what are your goals? What, what is it that you're going to do in the military? I hadn't thought about it. So he helped me think that. And then he said, is your goal to do three years and get out? And I said, well, I don't know. He said, well, if it is, the infantry is the best way to go because you'll make rank faster because you got a four-year degree. In, inside of two years, you'll be a sergeant. And do you know how it works in the military? The higher rank you have means more money. And uh, the light went off. You know, I was like, yeah, I could see myself being an Army guy. But the funny part was I didn't really think it all the way through. Infantry... Mm-hmm. It's not that easy. And I'm glad it turned out this way. It made me, uh, gave me fundamentals of leadership that I exercise even till today. But I always think about it kind of uh, giggly because, uh, man, you join the infantry and they walk everywhere. There's all these beautiful <laughs> trucks in the motor pool, but we're walking. That makes no sense to me. And it's about building stamina, building strength. I realize that. But, yeah, you know, I used to say, man, I got a college degree and I'm walking everywhere. What do you remember about the day you enlisted? I decided that everything that I owned, I was going to give away to my family and my friends. So um, the car I had for a short time, I had a really nice uh, LP uh, collection that I got rid of. I gave it to my friends. I remember I gave um, Bob Marley uh, album to uh, Uncle Jim. But Uncle Jim only had a hi-fi, a 78, so he couldn't pay, play the 33 and a third. So I thought that was kind of funny. Um, my clothes, I donated to Goodwill. Only took what I was going to actually wear when I joined the Army. So I, I got on a Greyhound bus, went to L.A. to the MEP station on Wilshire, and did all the in-processing, took all the shots. The one interesting thing was I stayed in a hotel room before going to basic training with a former gangbanger from a blood or crips. I couldn't remember, but we stayed up all night. He poured his soul out to me. You know, I don't even remember the guy's name. I don't remember um, his MOS. I never saw him again, but I thought it was amazing that his escape from gang violence was joining the army. And it kind of validated in my mind, I didn't have those circumstances. Hell, I, like I said, I was a college graduate and 
I wanted something else for myself. And so it motivated me. So that's what I remember from that day. How did your family and your friends back home react when you told them that you wanted to join the military? None of them said anything positive. My friends never really said anything negative, but they didn't say anything positive either. I mean, that block neighborhood, Manuel Andrade's dad was a World War II veteran. Both Richard and David Martinez was a Marine during World War II and my dad. But that's about all. The military was always kind of a negative rather than a positive for them. It is what it is, you know. It, it was a great thing for me. I know that my two brothers served honorably, were honorable discharge. Um, Doyle's dad served, and two of his brothers were in the National Guard. So he was supportive, but probably the only one. So you enlist, and you fly out from California, and where did you go? I went first to Fort Jackson, South Carolina, to go through the, the basic in-processing where you get your uniforms. You get measured in the morning, and then you pick your stuff up in the afternoon. And then the mm -hmm. second day, you did all your medical screening, then you took your shots in the afternoon. And then the third day, teaching you how to do the basic fundamentals, how to put sheets and blankets on a bed, how to set up your wall locker where all your stuff is. Day four is movement day. So I got on a bus at like five in the morning from Columbia, South Carolina, and I uh, did the eight-hour trip to Columbus, Georgia, where I went to uh, a one-stop uh, unit training for infantry training. And uh, what were those early years in the Army like for you? Uh, being an infantryman sucked. I mean, uh, just nothing good about it. I mean, you know, I love Rory and he talks about all this hula hula stuff. But when you're a private in the infantry, all the, you know, back then we had KP, we did roving patrols, we did guard duty. We were like, oh, you're kicking my ass. So, and I got a part of all that, you know. And your mom will get a kick out of this because those really big cans of vegetables, they call them number, um, what do they call them? Uh, number 10, 10 cans, you know, and there's a special opener you got to do. And I, you'd have to open like 30 every meal. So I would rather work instead of food prep, I work in dishwashing. At least in dishwashing, you could go at your own pace, you know. It's funny that I'm bringing that up, but I, I didn't really like it. Uh, I love going to the range. Uh, I learned how to navigate. That was very important and fundamentals for the rest of my life. I learned that just because you're a leader doesn't mean you can lead. I mean, I made sergeant in two years, and then I was fortunate enough to transfer. And I came up for reenlistment time, and I took the job that had the highest bonus, but I made sure always rode everywhere they went. So that's what <laughs> that's when I became a chemical soldier. You know, I had opportunity to go to to be a medic. Had opportunity to be the communication sergeant. I filtered it by which one's got the highest bonus, and uh, that's how I did it. And uh, turned out great. Hey, that's the end of part one. Part two of this conversation is available immediately to our Patreon subscribers. You can listen and watch that now at patreon.com slash makeeverymedia. Or subscribe to Make Every Media on SoundCloud or Apple Podcasts or follow us on YouTube, Twitch, Spotify. And you'll get notified as soon as part two of this conversation has been made public on any of those platforms. Until then, thanks for listening.